Bill Tormley is the editor and chief of the Irish Journal of Medical Science. His also speciality is chemical pathology, uh, bio, uh, biochemical toxicology, and he works in Beaumont Hospital. Good afternoon to you, Bill. How are you? Hello, Niall. How are you? A very colourful character. I saw you in prime time last week, and I know you were so anxious to get out what you had to say, Bill, uh, but you didn't obviously get enough time to say it, so I want to give you that opportunity now to continue to talk about what you were actually talking about. And this is in regards to what a lot of people are saying is a sledgehammer to crack a nut. Is the cure, i.e. restrictions, lockdowns, and the changes in our lifestyle, uh, worse than the actual virus? It might be. The problem is, um, it might be Nile. And by the way, will you put a thousand of uh, emails in there so I can get the prize? <laughs> <laughs> would you? Would you like that? Yeah, yeah I'm sure Lions of Limerick would be delighted to give for you the, a nice jaguar. Crack, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, look, the situation here is that we have this NFED crowd since last March telling us how to live our lives on a day by day basis. And they are often just simply either absurd or wrong or both. And that's a bit of a problem. Would it be fair to say that they're right? They're right now and again. Would that be fair to say too? Well, I suppose if you do things often enough, you have to be right every now and again. That's right. If you go back and look at where we were in July, for example, we had very low, very low numbers. The problem with all that stuff about low numbers is that we don't really know if that's true. Are you, are you saying, we are you basing that on PCR testing when you're talking about PCR testing? So do you have doubts about PCR testing? Oh, no, not at all. Okay. Well, I do have doubts in the sense that there was an experiment done in Beaumont uh, by ENT and by uh, infectious diseases. And um, what they did is Peter Lacey and uh, Owen DeBarra, and they got, they checked they brought they brought a mannequin down outside the restaurant. Wait to hear this one now. And they got the staff, that's medics, NTHCs and nurses, to go and poke the mannequin to test them for COVID. And they had this thing set up electronically so that if you hit the right place to set to test, it went ping. And if you didn't, nothing happened. And something like 60% of the people hit the wrong place and did not get a positive sample. Isn't that just incredible? So, so in other words, human error just in taking the test. So, yes, a pre-analytical error in taking the test. That's I'm, one, I'm one about the, the argument in now, relation the to PCR. Well, if I just go back to the PCR, more. the yeah, argument yeah. that sometimes there's a you know a one or two percent false positive, which would be on the amount of tests we do. So we do a hundred thousand yeah, tests I'm, a week. I'm, I'm getting to that. Okay. I tell you, uh, what you do in the lab then is you you um, amplify the the RNA. And you get it to rev up. In other words, you put in an enzyme and you make this stuff reproduce. And if you have to do 30-something cycles to actually see a positive, it's probable that that's a false positive. But didn't Killian de Gaskin say we were doing 35 to 40? Yeah, if you do that, you're getting a load of false positives. If, if you get positives at, at uh, low cycles, it's it's definitely positive. There's no question at all about that. Well, and, and you know what? This wouldn't be an issue. It wouldn't be an issue, Bill, if yeah. we weren't dictating public policy on it. But we are dictating public uh, yeah, policy. Yeah, I on couldn't it. give a damn if they were actually not being ridiculous on the other end. For example, the HSE this week, Nile, says that um, two thousand people, two thousand people had cancers missed as a result of the close down of the hospitals to deal with COVID. Do you remember the hospitals were in a total panic? That's right. And mm. the place. 
I mean, for example, in Beaumont, I, I think it maxed out at approximately 150-something people in the hospital, which was the highest in the country. Now, the good thing about Beaumont is, and the reason I keep blowing the trumpet for Beaumont is, then the survival rate, or the death rate, sorry, to turn around the other way, um, the death rate of COVID-19 patients in ICU in Beaumont is between 11 and 14%, which is phenomenal, because in a lot of countries in the world, it's 40 or 40 something percent. So... The ICU. And by the way, can I can I just phenomenal? Okay, can I just point out as well for listeners listening, when you talk about fourteen percent debt rate, this is in relation to people who've already been admitted who are already on a risk factor anyway. So this is not an overall fatality infection fatality rate, of course. Yeah, okay. No, no, no. No. Yeah, no, no, just in case people pick that up wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, okay so, but in relation to the to exactly the virus itself. Wait till I tell you exactly as you've just told your listeners. That's a, a rate on people who are so bad that they finish up in ICU, and that's a very small number of people. Yes, of course, okay. So yeah. just to get in relation to the, the fatality rate of uh, of um, COVID-19, we see now from data around the world that we're in a much better position than we were back in March when we thought, yeah. according to the WHO and Sam McConkey and everybody else, that 5% of the population were going to drop dead, right? That was the, uh, that, that was the kind of I suggestion at the time. Yeah, well, okay, but that was the suggestion at the time. That was obviously very wrong. Uh, Now we have the data. We're eight months, nine months in, and we see fatality rates for those under the age of 65 are probably less than influenza. For those over 65, slightly higher than influenza. So are we we overreacting then to to this particular virus? And if we are, why are we doing it worldwide, not just here in Ireland? Uh, Because there seems to be a, uh, a black an Asian preponderance of deaths in this. In other words, it depends on your genes. That's what it appears to be. In other words, if you're white and wealthy, you have a much higher survival rate than if you're black. And that's a real problem. Well, statistically, uh, they have someone, said this, that Asian and black people seem to have a higher fatality rate, yes. Yeah. And, but that could be that could be due with family uh, circumstances too, but you go on. No, no, yeah. not, yeah. It seems to be genetic. In other words, it seems to be this storm that happens, the... the um, the, the uh, inflammatory storm, that's really what it seems to be. And that's a really difficult situation, to be quite frank. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, we, okay, the, we, 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 has, the British Medical Journal this week has published the Spanish um, figures for the different age groups. And it's really, it, it revs up big time after 60. That's what it amounts to. Yeah. And that's the same as the report from Wuhan in China, published on the 17th of December last, from the Chinese CDC, and the, the, the report from Northern Italy, Lombardy, around the same time, Nile. So there's nothing new in all of this except hype. If you look at what happened in the Republic, uh, these geniuses, Mr. Um, Holohan and company, didn't seem to notice the nursing homes for quite a while which suggests that they didn't uh, read the reports with the CDC in China or in Lombardy. They um, didn't notice the meat factories, despite what was going on around the country. They they allowed the coroners to close down inquests and post-mortems so that they couldn't determine whether people were dying from COVID or of COVID, with COVID at the same time, if you get what I'm saying. In other words, was COVID a coincidence? Mm-hmm. Because the overall death rate did not shift and it seems to be that um, one of the things we've actually done, according to the, the HSE this last week, or this week, is that we had 2,000 people with cancers undiagnosed as a consequence of the closed down of COVID. 
And that's pretty that's pretty serious. Well, I read, well, I read a shocking story of a woman during the, the week in a paper who had to go to Northern Ireland just to get her cancer diagnosed because she had her appointments cancelled so many times down here. Well, uh, yeah, there's a load of that. I was talking to a friend of mine who happens to be uh, one of the top guys in Cork University Hospital, and he said to me in July, after I wrote a piece, a four and a bit thousand word piece in the Daily Mail on, or the Mail on Sunday, that it's about time somebody called these guys out because their experience in Cork was that people's cancers had progressed because they hadn't, they were too afraid to go near a hospital. Okay, well, and you agree with probably me and many other people that the unquantifiable deaths related to non-COVID, in other words, those people who don't get cancer diagnosis or people yeah. who become obese or people who turn to alcoholism during this particular tough time in their lives, uh, you know, in the long term, their lives may be shortened. So there's an unquantifiable amount of deaths related to COVID-19, unrelated, if you know what I mean, to COVID-19. Yeah, well, the but, only thing you can say is that the office of, as I said this on television, the office, the office of um, National Statistics, the ONS, uh, in England, stated that fifty-five per, that there was a fifty-five percent increase in the numbers of people who died from coronaries at home or in the street, sudden deaths uh, during the COVID period because they were too scared. I presume the the, the inference is that they were too scared to go to. Um, the doctor uh, when, when they felt the, first yeah, symptoms of course exactly yeah, yeah. okay okay can I ask you by the way you want to see how blatant this is now yeah. think about this um, how many uh, how many trolley crises are you hearing about from the uh, Irish nurses organisation at the moment well none none exactly if you go down the corridor there's no big pile up of, of, of um, so what, what are you saying the people are paying the price for, the, for a badly run health service over the years I no. mean look we've had this problem for 30 years no reflection on you Bill but we've had no, our ball mount the only thing you have to keep in mind is this that the population is increasing by about 25,000 people a year but the, health, well, the healthcare system is not. Okay, but getting back to, to what you said about ICU a few minutes ago yeah. and your experience of people in ICU and you talked about the 14%. Uh, By the way, the, according to Spain and the community, the overall fatality date published, uh, date, data published in the British Medical Journal is 0.8% believe it or not, 0.8%. Okay, we we have asked um, the HSE and the Freedom of Information for figures that we can't seem to get from them. They keep directing us to their website, which doesn't give us the actual details we're looking for. When we we talk about, say, uh, 250 people hospitalised... Wait, wait, can I say something about this just for a second, Niall? Sorry, I just want to say something else. The infection fatality rate over the age of 50 is about um, 11.6%. And in men over 80... It, it zips up even more to 16.4%, all right? So if the overall rate is uh, 1.1%, can you just imagine is it how that low... High? The, is it really no, that high? According, according to the CDC yeah, on, and high. many others, it's, it's a lot lower than that. No, hold on. If you add in the elderly who, are, who have a high death rate and to the people who have virtually no death rate, it comes out as 1.1, okay? If you... If if you exclude the people above sixty, it's very low. Okay, well, zero something percent. Well, 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 unfortunately, we don't exclude the people over sixty. We get I know, okay, but okay, but, but okay. But the, the let me get back to the ICU. I, I and it's an important but question. The reason I'm saying that is because 
if you look at the absurdity of what they're doing in colleges, etc., that's the point I'm making. Oh, no, absolutely. Yes, yeah. yes. There's very yeah. little risk to anybody under the age, thankfully, exactly, under yeah, that age. Exactly, yeah. Okay, but get, getting, I, I want to come back to the ICU if, if I possibly can, Bill, yeah, because sure. we've asked the HSE for figures to clarify figures. So when we talk on a daily basis about 250 people in hospital, for example, and say yeah. 35 people in ICU around the country, right? Yeah. Uh, can you clarify? Because they don't seem to be able to clarify. I might. I don't know. If I, if I don't know, I won't. Okay, I, but that's, I that's fine. That. But, but just yeah. from your own observations, right? Because you talked about ICU a minute ago. The people that are in ICU are in in hospital. What percentage do you believe, from your own observations, uh, you know, you don't have to give me an exact percentage, but majority or minority or whatever, uh, what percentage of those are actually in ICU and actually in hospital for COVID-19 or are they in hospital for another reason, like I broke my leg or I'm for dialysis and I just happen to test positive? No, the ones who, yeah, it's not like that. The ones who test positive and are brought in for COVID symptoms are the COVID score in that in the particular hospital. If you get me right. So, so when they say uh, you know on six o'clock on on the news, there's two hundred and fifty people hospitalised because of COVID nineteen. Are we to take those two hundred and fifty people are are only there for COVID nineteen because we have been indications that actually only a small percentage are only for COVID nineteen? No, no, they're there for COVID nineteen, and that's spread all over the country. Okay, and I think it's very low because I was talking to a guy in Blanchardstown who's the who's the director of medicine out there about a week ago, and there was only four people in Blanche with COVID nineteen. All right, and, so and, okay, and, okay, well, you've you've given out about Tony Holan and you've given out about Neffet, and I wouldn't disagree yeah. with you about Neffet. I believe it's a group think at this stage and needs to be replaced or changed. Everybody, yeah. I think, thinks the same thing. Mind you, their task is simply to give medical advice, not to give economical advice and you know and social advice. But but what would you do? So I'm going to put you in a position, Bill Tormley. You're now the Taoiseach, right? <laughs> I can only imagine you're the Taoiseach, Bill, and you have to make the decisions tomorrow. What would you do? Uh, what would I do right now? Yeah. There's no, there's no right answer now, and I tell you why. That's not a duck, Nile. I don't duck. I'll answer that. Um, the problem now is that we've actually gone too far with infections. For example, yesterday in one of the papers, it said that there was 160,000 people coming in through the ports in October. 160,000. And they said, and they listed out where they're from: Poland, Spain, all that kind of stuff, and 50 odd thousand from the UK. Without testing and retesting in five days, or testing five days beforehand and retesting at the airport, we do not know how many asymptomatic people have been brought in. But they're saying that's only 3% of the total infection rate coming into the country. I'll I'll deal with that one. Uh, That that comment is based on antibodies, and not every uh, COVID patient gets antibodies. The other thing about it is that in Iceland, which is a very a small, self-contained island. Uh, the genetics company up there did a random stu- study of lo- looking at the population for COVID. And then the, of the ones who had, and they took a history of everybody. In other words, you had to fill in where you've been, what your job was, all that kind of stuff, what age you are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And guess what, Niall? 50% of the people who tested positive, PCR positive for COVID, had no symptoms. Fifty percent in Iceland. Well, that well, that seems to be the case replicated all over the world. That the majority, it seems, of people who were test positive have no symptoms. Is it time, Bill, like some countries are doing, to stop testing healthy people and only test people who present with symptoms? Uh, well, there's two ways you could look at that. That no is the answer to that because at the moment, with all of these vaccines coming down the track, okay, it's we'll get to probably them in a second. worth having a go at suppressing this. 
because we do, it's not clear from the literature how bad the post-COVID syndrome is. Now, keep in mind that we had post-viral fatigue syndromes going on for... Well, we did. With influenza years. and many others, people and would have long... It, yes. yeah. I mean, long COVID is just a, de- a name given to, you know, something that we've, you know, a, a diagnosis we've had for years with many other viruses. And, and exactly. by the way... The, is only dif- the only difference is, Niall, if I can just slightly... I'm not correcting you, but just add a nuance onto that. One of the problems about COVID is that it affects the, the um, coagulation system. So you can have strokes and coronaries and all sorts of stuff from COVID, okay, which is a little bit, it's a bit nasty. It's definitely nastier. Oh, there, there's no doubt about that. Okay, in, yeah. relation, in relation to, we also asked the HSC last week uh, under mm-hmm. FOI, how many cases of flu we've had in hospital this year. Now, we'd normally there's be getting... very few, actually. Well, well hang on. You'd be very surprised yeah. at the answer. I got back. We would normally be in the thick of flu season now. We'd be getting right up there because last year, this time last year in the Irish Examiner, I remember reading an article that we had thousands of people in hospital and we had, I think, four or 500 in ICU over a period of time, right? And yeah. we had many hundreds of deaths in this country every single year for flu. That's uh, right, okay, yeah. but this year, how many do you think we've had, according to the HSC? None. Not one solitary case. Is it the case that people with flu symptoms are equally testing positive for COVID and being redefined as COVID, and people seem to think that's the case because the flu couldn't miraculously have just disappeared. Well, no, hold on. We're not defining anybody with um, COVID if they don't have it. No, I'm not not suggesting, but what I'm saying is people who present with flu are being tested for COVID. Uh, Yes, they are. But the point I'm making is that if people who are admitted to hospital do have a positive COVID, the only thing we don't know is how many cycles it's taken routinely to actually diagnose this. In other words, how many false positives there are around the place? Because we don't. No, they don't publish the but we, we, But we never mass, even though we had influenza before and we sadly lost a lot of lives through it, we never mass tested for influenza. So we, we, no, didn't, we this, didn't really know. No, hold on for a second. This, this, uh, this virus is, is worse, it appears. Than Absolutely. And I'm, not, but I'm not doubting that for a minute, but what I'm saying is it does seem miraculous that we don't have a single case of the flu, according to the HSE this year. Yeah, and so it's it, miraculous. It, it, yeah, but the, no, there's ascertainment bias, Niall. If you go and you check, if you go into primary care and you go and check everybody and you do a, a, a flu analysis, right, you'll probably get, you'll get a lot more than one. There are people around with flu. Okay. Well, so well, well according to the HEC, they're not, but I mean, you know. Yeah, hold on for a second. That's, uh, that's defined and reported to the HSE, which requires two steps. One, test for it, and two, report to the HSE. That's the, and they're using Sentinel GPs. You know, there was a whole bunch of GPs who are joined together to report to the HSE as, um, you know, the good boys in the game. Okay, well, okay. Well, finally, I want to get to the vaccines because I know you're a busy man, Bill, and, and I appreciate you coming on the air today. As you know, the UK... I are the follow f- you on Twitter, so I see what you're at. Okay, all right. <laughs> the UK have formally approved the vaccine. This is the Pfizer vaccine, the first com- yeah. country, so it should be rolled out to healthcare workers within the next week and a half to two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this particular vaccine, I think it's one of the first, uh, what they call or, uh, mRNA, or mRNA vaccines. The reason for that is because we don't have a live sample of COVID-19 to make a live vaccine. But, I mean... There seems to be a lot of reluctance. Oh, we do actually. We've taken the spike protein, and that's what we're using to generate. Well, I, I was only reading or listening to in Parliament last night in the UK, and the suggestion was that we don't have a, an actual sample of the actual virus itself. Oh, anyway, sure. that's what they're using to generate to take out the. Um, they've got the they've, the um, RNA uh, fingerprint has been uh, worked out. In other words, the Chinese actually gave the. Uh, the, the RNA and uh, virus out in the sequences of the whole thing way back. So okay, okay, we're, get, well, we're getting to the vaccine because I, I, I don't know much time, but in relation to the vaccine, 
Normally, we, we will always have the anti-vaccination people. They've been around for years and they'll be around for the next yeah, God knows yeah. many years, right? Yeah. But this time round, there is a much higher reluctance. Normally, the anti-vax would be represented by 15% of people, right? We're now looking at, you know, according to surveys, both on my own Twitter, Irish Times, yeah, everybody else. Those, yeah, and they're, yeah. they're quite, there's a quite high reluctance of people. Ah, I'm normally pro-vaccine, but I don't know, this is a bit rushed. I think I'll wait a few months and see what happens to everybody else if they all die first. So they're, they're, and then you have the government, of course, Stephen Donnelly has just indemnified uh, Pfizer. Uh, the state has indemnified them, you know, against anybody being uh, suing them in a, at a later date to, for side yeah. effects, which doesn't send out a very good message, a positive message. So, I mean, why do you believe people are so reluctant and are they right to be reluctant? Well, the first thing is people are sceptical about the effects um, of a virus uh, or of a vaccine until such time as it's in circulation for long enough to find anything very rare. That's the first thing I want to say. Yeah, phase four, so to speak, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's down to millions of people as opposed to tens of thousands tested in phase three. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing is that these are new... The Moderna virus and the Pfizer virus or mRNA viruses, as you've just said, Niall, and they are, that's a new construction uh, of, a, of a vaccine. So that has not been used before. So that will be very interesting to see how that works because it's got, it's got problems. We, have, um, we don't have a HIV virus or a vaccine. We don't have a malaria vaccine. There's all sorts of possibilities from that new technology. All the other vaccines that are going through phase threes, uh, as far as I know, plus the ones in China, and the one in the F, Sputnik Five in Russia, uh, you people forget about Sputnik Five. Yeah, aptly well, named. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, yeah. I know. We have to. Uh, we have to Five. The ninety-eight listeners up, updated on these things. They actually apparently all work, but we're so arrogant in the West that if something comes out of Russia and China, it's uh, tainted, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So they're being ignored. But the bottom line, the problem with this is you, as you've just come Pfizer one is that. Um, all, all, sorry, all the other ones are modifications of a, of a cold virus, an adenovirus that causes common cold, and they're going to be given directly. So they're a live virus, a modified live virus that includes the spike protein of the COVID-19. In other words, a bit of the, 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 a bit of the COVID virus uh, is going into these things, and that's going so to... So you produce antigens, yes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Antibodies, yeah. yeah. So that's basically, that, that's exactly what that does. The other problem, as I see it, for um, vaccines at the moment is that we're going to give it to a whole lot of people who already have antibodies, so they're probably going to get a sore arm uh, big time. And uh, other than Johnson & Johnson, which is a one-shot vaccine, which isn't out yet, um, all the others are a two-shot vaccine. So you just go back three weeks later and get a bit of a boost? Exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, but, I, but I mean, if there's a reluctance, finally, Bill, I have to wrap it up, but if, the, if there yeah, is a reluctance, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, we've always talked about vaccines in the past, HPV and all the rest of them, and we always say, look, we need to get up to about 85% to get some sort of level of herd immunity. Now, we know there's already a level of immunity with T-cells. We know there's a level of immunity possibly with people who've already got it. Uh, yeah. So we may only have to get a little bit more to get us up to that level of herd immunity. But if we don't have enough people taking it, should the whole thing is going to be pointless and we're stuck yeah, in this well, rut, aren't we? Yeah, let's look, let's pretend that seventy percent get it. Can we for a second? Yeah, okay. okay. And then let's pretend that it's somewhere like ninety percent um, efficacious. Uh, efficacious. All right. Yeah. Um, point nine by seven, right? Is is point six three? All right. So that means that we're going to have thirty seven percent who are not covered 
Are you with me? Yes, yeah, yeah. Who, who could get it? So this is a bit of a long shot. It's going to take a while for all of this to work its way Okay, out. and in that while that we're talking about, uh, we keep going along and locking down businesses no, and closing I think businesses. No, we've got to stop all that. Sorry. Okay, so we got to, So the point is we've got to learn to live with the virus. Finally, one more question before you go, Bill, because I was going to an ad break. Um, it looks like the Irish Aviation Authority are now looking at linking people's passports up possibly with their vaccinations. Qantas have already announced they won't let people fly without the vaccinations. Uh, you know, I, I'm seeing a future where you're not going to be able to go to a gig without showing your vaccination passport. Yeah, that's right. And there's a, there's a Jerry Breen was telling me that there's some uh, app that actually will do all of that. That's that's you. right. Well, in the UK, yeah. that's what they're doing. They're linking it with the app. Okay, do you agree with that? Which is essentially mandatory vaccination. Otherwise, you'd be treated as a second class citizen. Do you agree with it? I think that the public health consequences of the way we're approaching this at the moment is so is so massive that we have to do it. That's what I think. I'm a civil libertarian, and I realise that there are consequences if you don't do it. For example, if you don't do certain vaccines, you can't work in a crash, right? And um, if you don't give your kid MMR, you, know, you get outbreaks of these things, you know, whooping cough and that sort of stuff. And the effects are pretty grim if you get the uh, central nervous system consequences. It's not funny. Okay, so, okay, all right, I get what you're saying. Okay, so you think yep. just just look, look to, to save everybody else and to obviously save the lives of the vulnerable people who would be vulnerable to COVID-19, it's best everybody just does their civic duty. Yeah, I don't think there's any other game in town, basically. All right, listen, listen, Bill, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on the air today. Bill Tormley, Editor-in-Chief of the Irish Journal of Medical Science and also practising at Bowman Hospital. Thank you very much.